Welcome to the Project Update Podcast. I'm Joe Simpson. And I'm Dave Ramsey. How's it going, Dave? Doing really good, Joe. How you doing? Doing pretty good. So, follow-up. Do we have any follow-up this week? Um, no follow-up that I know of. No follow-up. Okay. If listeners want to send us any follow-up or feedback about the show, go to project-update.com slash contact, or you can find us on Twitter. The links will be in the show notes. So let's dive in. I guess a quick table of contents for today. Uh, we're going to do our project updates um, a little bit quicker than normal. And then the rest of the show is our very first interview. So stick around for that. Um, but let's dive in. Let's start with you this week, Dave. What have you been working on and what's going on? Well, um, updates were a little rough this week. Yeah. Um, as we were recording last week, I noticed that my HVAC was not working. Mm. Um, good just, week for that. Yeah, really good week for that. Uh, just all of a sudden, it was. I was like, "Wow, I'm I'm really warm," and it's you know I, I operate mostly within a pretty narrow temperature range most days, and uh, it was six or seven degrees above that range as we were like as we were recording. And so, uh, yeah, so I, it didn't take long to get the guy to come, come out and fix the thing. And that's a temporary fix. They're coming out tomorrow to put in the actual replacement parts. Um, but my HVAC is generally under control now. So that cost me 24 to 48 hours. Cause it's really hard for me to program when I'm sweating. Mm -hmm. Just, yeah. just not... If I'm uncomfortable, I can't focus my brain on anything other than being uncomfortable. Which keys lovely, it, wonderfully into the next delay, which was woke up the morning after getting everything fixed with the HVAC and excruciating neck pain. Oh, no. Um, I woke up and literally before rolling out of bed was calling the chiropractor. Oh, jeez. Uh, barely threw on clothing, stumbled to the car. Um, if it had taken me 60 seconds longer to sit down in the car, I was going to call an Uber. Um, <laughs> as it was, it was like two minutes just to get from the outside of the car door into the seat with no, the man. door shut. It was really bad. Um, so... That's still fading. It's it's gotten better. I'm I'm productive again, but even like in a couple of hours, I'm going to the chiropractor again to get a little more stretching done and and hopefully get this back to normal pretty soon. Um, so that cost me a lot of productivity. Once again, really hard to program when I'm just standing there going, "Wow, I'm miserable." Um, so. Big chunk on the code this week was uh, expanding my parser. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that I have to do with uh, tracking the difference between two chunks of code is if there's a FileMaker calculation string. So take this field, concatenate it with this field, run a function on the result of that, and do something with it. Mm -hmm. And um, 
in the classic FileMaker DDR, there are two versions of this code in every little code nugget. There's the calculation in pure text. And then there's also a tokenized version of the calculation where it just says, this is just a string. This is um, uh, a field reference. Here's a function reference, that kind of thing. <clears throat> it's not exceptionally detailedly tokenized. We'd love to get some more detail from that, but that sort of thing is further down the road. <clears throat> um, but it's really helpful. It's great for throwing XML queries at that calculation to find out what the moving parts are. Unfortunately, in the new XML, um, they haven't yet done the tokenized part. Hmm. So all I have is the pure text. And so if you're just looking at a big block of text, I can't tell which are moving parts and which aren't. You know, there's nothing that tells me that uh, this chunk of text here is actually a constant string that's being concatenated with something else. You know, this ampersand is inside double quotes, which means it doesn't do anything. Whereas this ampersand is outside double quotes, which means it's a concatenation operator. There's nothing there that tells me that. It's just one huge chunk of text. Mm -hmm. And so effectively, I had to write my own parser for FileMaker calculations because I need that detailed data to be able to fix it. Um, to really be able to tell where the differences are, what has changed, are some of these things relevant, that sort of thing. So yeah, that's exciting. I'd written some simple ones previously to just reach in and grab little chunks, but now I needed a much more detailed parser and tokenizer for that kind of stuff. So it's a lot of, you know, make a hundred test cases of strings and what I expect the output to be. And then adjust the code a little bit and send it through and adjust the code a little bit and send it through. And there's a lot of kind of, round and round and round until I actually get everything picking out each individual element. The good news is that that parser is now breaking things up to a greater degree of detail than the one that FileMaker has built into the old version of the XML. So I have more information about what's going on. Um, but, boy, that's a lot of code. It's... Five, six hundred lines of code that are just how do you find the edges of everything and mm -hmm. then once you found the edges of things what do those edges mean like is this a field name or is this a function name um, and there's nothing in FileMaker to stop you from making a custom function that has the same name as a field in one of your tables so it's only based upon the context of the surrounding elements that tell you whether that thing is a function or a field name. So Fun. that's a little exciting. Yeah. Um, and there's going to be a bunch more work there. And as I keep going, I'm going to have to expand that further. Um, it did key in really nicely with a presentation that I caught one time at a .NET user group meeting where somebody was talking about 
writing compilers. And <laughs> um, it was using a broader definition of compiler than what we as programmers are used to thinking of. Okay. In that it's just a thing that turns data, in this case text, into a different kind of data. So you could write a compiler that turns HTML into XML. Or HTML into JavaScript that draws the same XML or HTML or, or something like that. Um, you know, importing a tab delimited text file and spitting out a CSV is a compiler operation under these definitions. And so um, he was talking about kind of a, a really methodical way to approach that issue. You know, you've got to tokenize the text, turn it into discrete chunks, and then you've got to, you write a lexer, okay, something that lexically assesses the text and being very careful not to have those two things mix. Um, which is kind of neat because if you're, if you're trying to break it apart into little chunks and then figure out what each chunk means as you're doing it, you end up with really, really, really complicated code. that's basically going to be impossible to maintain. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you break it down into tiny tasks, first figure out where the edges are. It's all we care about. Where, where are the operators? Because in, in this case, that's kind of where your edges are. You know, your ampersands, your addition signs, whatever. And, oh, I found a, a double quote. Well, scan forward until you find the next double quote that doesn't have a backslash before it. And that is the end of a token. Is it a string? I don't know. We're not worried about that yet. That is a token. And then you've just got basically an array of tokens. And then you go back through those and say, okay, in the context of this and the surrounding items, what kind of token is this? This is a string. This is a mathematical operator. This is a function call. This is a field reference. And once you've gotten it broken into the tiny little chunks, that actually becomes fairly straightforward. But trying to do that all in a single pass is a nightmare. Hmm. So yeah. it's... Uh, horrifyingly complicated but uh i mean you do this to yourself though yeah i mean the the my understanding of the plan is that this kind of parsing will be happening automatically in a later version of the xml mm -hmm. so i could have just waited um i think that's what most people are doing i got a little but over ambitious and tried to start earlier yeah i mean at the fundamental level though you you make it you make a habit out of finding the most inscrutable chunks of data and then turning them into reasonable, consumable bits of information. Yeah. Yeah. Which is definitely like a, a cool thing. It'd be even cooler if you could turn it into like an extreme version of that. Or like, uh -huh. you know, kind of like the eSports version of XML parsing. <laughs> you know, I... I I got to be honest, XML parsing is easy compared to this um, because the XML libraries are already handling the tokenizing and lexing. Mm -hmm. So I can just, I basically already got 
a tree it says this item contains these items which contain these items and crawling that data structure is relatively straightforward once you understand the rules um but if i don't parse this calculation and it hasn't been parsed for me there's a whole set of changes that i can't catch mm-hmm. or yeah. or rather changes that are irrelevant that i can't tell are irrelevant like if i added a single character uh inside a string that's a change that's just a change always i edited a string in one of my calculations but if the extra characters are in a field name that's referenced in the calculation and that field was renamed in my filemaker version i don't care about that change mm-hmm. filemaker smart it will update the references to every single field in the entire system when i rename a field so if i don't catch the fact that this is a field reference and it's to this field and now that i know that i know that the field was renamed which means that i don't have to notify people every place the reference changed that I'm just going to be telling people, oh yeah, you got to update this calculation too. When you don't have mm-hmm. to. Yeah. FileMaker will do it for you. And so I'm really trying to reduce the verbosity of the change reports. But unfortunately, that requires writing this code. Fun. Yeah, I'll stick with my problems. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah so fun place for unit testing though yeah some, I bet you just put in a whole bunch of tests and and know whether it's good and one of my best tests is I break the whole thing apart into tiny little chunks and then recombine it and say after breaking it apart does everything still exist no characters got dropped anywhere in the process of converting this to tokens and then bringing it back. That's always kind of the first. If I dropped any characters, that's a problem. Because then I'm going to start finding differences when there aren't differences. Hmm. So I think I figured out a way to get rid of my two-stage build process. I haven't implemented this yet. But I think I can do it. So the the two-stage build process is my app has a HTML, CSS, and JavaScript front end or interface. Mm -hmm. And then the back end is all written in C-sharp for .NET. And the, the things that compile those two are two entirely different engines. So I've got like Webpack going through all the JavaScript and HTML and turning it into a nice condensed little chunk of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then all of that produced code has to get dropped into the .NET thing to build that application. Okay, so take the output of one compiler and feed it into source material for another compiler. That then mm-hmm. runs. And um, 
The cool part about doing that is when I'm just playing with the UI, I can do it without data. So I can build the JavaScript and HTML stuff and bring it up in a browser and just see if it looks okay without running the entire application. Like almost like the um, um, what the, the the new thing for Swift UI where you can kind of edit the code and see what happens in a live preview of what the interface looks like. That's yeah. basically what I can do with this application is I can edit the code and as soon as I hit save, it's not instantaneous, but as soon as I hit save, it'll update in a browser window. And so playing with the UI becomes very fast that way. I don't have to do the full build. But currently, when I want to actually run the full application, I have to build the UI and then wait until that's done. And when that's done, I can then say, okay, now build the entire application. And the trick is, I think, that um, NPM for that kind of manages the process of building the JavaScript stuff is really just running terminal commands. Hmm. And so I think I can add to the end of that sequence of terminal commands that does the build to say, when this is all done, now run the command line builder for the .NET application mm -hmm. and launch the app. I think that's like two command line things. So that's out of everything you've talked about so far, that's the only thing I know how to do. It's <laughs> <laughs> compile.net stuff from command line. <laughs> well then maybe I'll have to give you a call this week. No, it's just like the hello world tutorial on working with .NET core. Okay. Yeah. Super easy stuff. <laughs> gotcha. So um yeah, so if I can do that, that will definitely help. So, yeah, that, that's my stuff this week. What have yeah. you been working on? So I finally got to get back into writing code. Like the last couple of weeks have been all about prototyping and design. And this week I've been, I spent pretty much the entire time in Xcode. Um, and by the entire time, I mean maybe around 15 hours in addition to my other work. But uh made a ton of progress. So I have working versions of every screen that the app will have except for the settings page. There's nothing there yet. I mean, because I haven't needed a setting yet. <laughs> uh, but I have a, you know, I have a list view for the parent object. Uh, I've got an edit view, a detail view for that. Uh, I've got another list view for the child object and an edit view for that. I've got a a color picker working and I don't have an icon picker yet. I do have icons worked into the UI, but I don't actually have, haven't built the icon picker yet. Um, but yeah, it's coming along really well. I've got support for uh, dark mode and light mode built into everything that I've done so far, which is relatively easy and dynamic type, which is easy to enable less easy to actually implement, um, particularly on the table view cells. I was having a lot of trouble <clears throat> trying to get dynamic type to play with the auto layout constraints that, like I know auto, auto layout is a terrible, terrible thing. And I know this, but I know the exact <laughs> constraints that I need and they don't work. They're 
they're distorting one of my objects. So I've got a circle. It's basically a UI image with rounded corners to make a circle. And you put a white icon in that, and then you fill that with the user-defined color. And that shows up on every table row. And it works fine until I use auto layout to pin that to where it needs to be. And then the other two labels in the row and the accessory in the row. And the, the exact auto layout constraints that work in Xcode 10, they still work in Xcode 11, but they distort my circle by one pixel. They basically stretch it out on the <laughs> x-axis and it just infuriates me. And I spent, yeah, you can you can tell the difference between a perfectly round thing and an ever so slightly not perfectly round thing really quickly. Oh yeah, yeah, it looks like little like really crappy footballs. Um, so yeah, I spent entirely too much time fighting with that yesterday because like the reason I was trying to use auto layout is because the the dynamic text actually needs to be able to when you increase the font size up high enough the table view cells actually need to be able to expand size and text from the labels need to wrap around onto multiple lines if necessary. Like I don't want to just replace the UI with a couple of letters and an ellipsis. That's not really helpful for people. So it, it I, I was eventually able to get there by basically um, using pins and struts and certain types of anchoring and then setting some uh, what was the there was a particular method i had to call on the table view when it first loads to make the cells adapt to their content um but i was eventually able to do it without auto layout by using pins and struts and converting those into the auto layout constraints at runtime and it's inelegant and it's probably going to have penalties down the road if i want to make changes to this but it's the only only thing I could figure out that was viable. Maybe a future version of the Xcode beta will solve this issue and I can go back to using the normal constraints. But for the time being, there was just no other way to get this done. It was infuriating. Uh, infuriating is probably the best word to describe auto layout. Yeah. Yeah, I, I keep wanting to dive into Swift UI, but I'm just faster at UI kit and everything. And I'm just trying to make this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything I've done so far has been in UI kit and really the only thing I don't like about UI kit is auto layout. Like everything else makes sense to me, but it's just such a bad system. But so yeah. Looking forward to the day when we can just do everything in Swift UI. Yeah. It's going to be a big change in how I write code, but I'm probably going to wait for like a Ray Wenderlich book. And then maybe take a week off and just throw myself into that. I think I, I was initially thinking I was going to do this app entirely in Swift UI, and then I backed off and said, "No, I'm going to do all the uh, the core data stuff and table views and UI kit, and then the detail views I'll do in Swift UI." But I've even backed off of that, and I've done everything in UI kit at this point. But I think I'm going to release this app in UI kit and then maybe have a, a hobby project of rewriting it in, in Swift UI. Whether or not I re-release that in Swift UI um, like as an update or if it's just a learning project. I think it'll be more interesting to to learn Swift UI when I have all of the app done and I'm just re-implementing it elsewhere and I'm not making new decisions about it. I think that'll be 
a good way to learn Swift UI for myself. But for the time being, it's really coming along. Um, I've got, there's a new segue called IB, IB Segue Actions. Um, and you can basically create an outlet for segues now. And you do, no longer have to do that crazy string named segue switching in prepare for segue. Um, so now each of my segues can have their own chunk of code that runs when the app navigates somewhere so I can handle dependency injection. And yeah, it's it's much more resilient than did you mistype a string in the segue identifier. Um, and I've got, you know, nice presentation styles. Like I've got, uh, initially I'd set up everything with just the show segue. So everything was just kind of sliding in from the right. But now all of the data entry stuff pops up as a card from the bottom with a cancel and done button. And you can also pull down on it to cancel. Whereas the the other layouts will use the show segue and slide in and give you that navigation stack. And even one of them, one of the cards pops up and it has its own navigation stack built into that because there's going to be an icon picker that you can slide off to the side for, pick an icon and come back. But yeah, pretty happy with the way it's coming so far. And I want to do some additional bits of flair, like when you change color, I want to have a little bit of a haptic feedback. Um, the icon picker is probably going to be a big focus this week because I need to, I guess the, the color picker is the first time I've ever used a collection view in iOS, which is kind of weird. I've been playing around with iOS for a couple of years now, and I've just never used a collection view for anything at all. And done everything with table views. And my first mock-up of the color picker was just a table view full of, like each row is a different color and you mm -hmm. tap on it and it went back to where you came from. But now I've got a collection view right on the edit view where there's a field at the top you can type in for the name and then there are 10 color dots below and you can just select which one you want and it updates the, the color block above it but also shows an indicator in which circle you've selected. And it's pretty fast, like it's instantaneous and pretty elegant. And I've got some nice constraints built in to this screen where because I'm using dynamic type on that text field, the constraints are built around the baseline of the text, not the text field itself. So if you make the font really big, the collection views and the other objects around that field keep their proportional spacing to it based on the font size, not based on literal distances or constants between the edge of the text field. So it makes the, the dynamic aspect of it feel much better. And then using those modals make the entire thing look better on the iPad. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, yesterday morning I plugged in the iPad for the first time and I was like, I just wanna see what this looks like. And it was real bad. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I spent most of the day working on the segues and getting some of the iPad stuff looking better. Um, yeah, this week the color picker, that'll be a much more complicated collection view because the, the color picker is only 10 colors. The icon picker will have hundreds of icons to pick from. And I need a way to quickly navigate them. I want to break them into some kind of logical sections. Um, I may do some kind of keyword search on them, but that that gets tricky really quickly. Of like, mm -hmm. do I translate all of those keywords into other languages and then... Yeah, I could just see that 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 could be a really 
time-consuming thing to do at this stage. So I'm thinking not with the keywords, but just having um, sections of icon broken up where you can quickly scroll through them and find what you want. I don't want an overwhelming amount. And I'm trying to figure out what icons to use. So the, the ones that look good in my, my uh, circle color blocks are icons that have a solid fill. So the line art ones that were popular in iOS 7, I really dislike those and I want to see more filled in shapes. Um, and I was looking through SF, SF symbols and there's some I can use there. And I may go that route, but I may also just buy a third party icon pack instead because I don't know, some of the ones in SF symbols are there's just not very many fill ones compared to the rest of the pack. And they're, I hate to say it, they're just kind of generic looking. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I may use them. I may not. For uh, FM Perception, I ended up using, getting a subscription to flaticon.com mm -hmm. that has tens of thousands yeah. of icons and different styles and they've got packs of things that all have consistent design but you yeah. can cherry pick from that or grab an entire pack or something like that and in general i've been really pleased with it i want to do something a little more elaborate later but yeah that was a decent resource for me as well yeah yeah i'll probably end up buying something i don't know I'll, i'm going to spend maybe an hour looking through sf symbols and just copying and pasting the names of the things that I think are suitable. And if I come up with, I don't know, a hundred icons out of that, that represent lots of different things, then that may be good enough. Um, Cause these, at the end of the day, these are user defined icons to help the user identify a list of things. So I, most users probably won't have more than five to 10 lists in their app. So I don't need thousands of icons necessarily, but I do need enough that the user could find something meaningful to use as an identifier. Have you considered allowing people to use emoji? I have. Um, the, I don't think I want kids, to in the color. The kids like emojis. But that's the thing. Like, I don't think that works with the design of the app. Mm -hmm. There's nothing stopping you from using emoji in the strings when you're naming something. So I think I'm going to kind of push that direction. Like, I, I'll use okay. emojis in several of the names, but I don't think emojis in place or mixing in with the icon definitely mixing in with the icons would not look good and i don't want to really i don't know i've got opinions about <laughs> i want to have like the color blocks with the white icons they lead into other parts of the design that are coming later like making uh color-based cards for sharing and stuff like that so mm -hmm. i want to have kind of a unified design with that Okay. Yeah. No emojis for now, unless you type it into a text field. And then uh, I guess the last big issue this week was earlier this week. There's a static table view that I'm using for data entry. And it's got a text field. It's got a couple of labels and some date pickers. And then a UI text view, which is the type of control that you can type in paragraphs of text to. And that was breaking 
everything. Like I, I have a working version of this app in Xcode 10 and iOS 12, and I reproduce that same thing in Xcode 11. And as soon as I add in that text view to my static table view, the storyboard uh, view controller for that turns black. All of the objects disappear, but there are blue outlines where they are. There's a warning at the top of Xcode that says the storyboard could not be updated. <laughs> so there's something broken in the XML of the storyboard. And then running the app, it will open that view, but trying to close that view then crashes the app. And I spent the better part of a day just trying to figure out what was happening. Now I know it was the text field, but at the time I didn't know what on there was causing it. And I basically had to do that subtractive debugging, slowly <laughs> removing one thing and seeing what's causing this. It, it was literally the last thing on the layout that was causing it. Um, so there are no notes in the app right now. Maybe I'll add that back towards the end of the summer. And I, I mean, I want notes in mine, but right now Apple's making that very difficult. And I also noticed in Swift UI, they don't have anything like that. They have t a single text field and nothing for paragraphs of text in Swift UI. Like, really? Yeah. Like, hello? <laughs> Is anybody available to talk about this? And I even know, I went to look at the Reminders app and because I use the notes field in Reminders when I use Reminders. And I've, I've never been so disappointed, Dave. You, you go to a list, you make a new reminder, you give it a name, you tap on the info button, there's a notes field below it. You start typing into it. It's just one string that goes off to the side. You can never view your entire note. You can't navigate around in it. It's just one field that just scrolls horizontally forever. So yeah, a bit of huh. a regression there. <laughs> That, that sounds great. Not so much. Hopefully they fix that by the end of the summer. But, but yeah, so this week it's going to be all about the icon picker, um, finishing up the main screen. So the table view that has the list on it as well as starting to add in the table sections for the other types of lists and then cleaning up some of the data entry stuff. And yeah, it'll be a good week. I've got pretty much the entire week to spend on this. Um, which is good. There's no more server upgrades to do this week. There's no web development to do this week. So I should have four days of full-time work to focus on this. And I'm making really fast progress when I do have time to work on it. So, so far, so good. So there's one other quick topic I wanted to mention. Mm -hmm. um, little self-serving, but we never mentioned it on this podcast, but I actually have an app in the iOS app store and it is a game called random arrow and it's not a particularly good game but it's a fun way to pass the time when you're doing something else like I made it as it's more of a toy I think it's, you described it it's something to do with your hands while you're listening to a podcast or an audiobook or waiting at the dentist something like that um and I don't really need to say too much about the game because it kind of describes itself on the store. But uh, I just wanted to mention that to listeners. If you want to throw me a dollar and play a mediocre game, then go search for Random Arrow. Or check the link in the uh, show notes. Awesome. So we have our first guest on the show today. Uh, we just recorded an interview about an hour ago with 
Heidi Helen Philippus. And we are going to segue to that. Um, before we do that, Dave, do you have any thoughts? Any, any uh, prelude to that? Um, so Heidi is an iOS app designer. And I don't, I don't really know a lot about design as far as process and such. I have done pieces of design, but if you've looked at my apps, you know kind of what I'm capable of. So I'm sure I asked some really dumb questions and I'm okay with that. And I hope you are too. Yeah. Stupid questions are welcome here. Hmm? But yeah, I think it was a really good conversation. Um, Heidi has worked on some really cool apps. She's released two apps this year with some partner developers and she's working on some stuff with her developers over the summer. And we just had a good discussion about her apps and kind of what it looks like to do the type of work that she does. So let's go ahead and segue to that now. So welcome to the show, Heidi Helen. Thank you for being our first guest on Project Update. Thanks for having me. So uh, Dave and I are here and we just wanted to talk about kind of the apps that you've released this year and maybe what's coming next with them, give you a chance to talk about the apps and the overall work that you've done on them. And kind of, I'm very much interested in the type of work you do. Um, I know you work with some developers on each of these apps. And I, I think on this call right now, we've got three people that have very different skill sets in terms of design. Like I think we've got all we've got the whole spectrum covered not to make fun of dave or anything but um you're obviously a pretty expert designer (laughs) and i'm yeah i'm I'm probably pretty close on the other end of the spectrum yeah i'm i'm pretty good at mimicking other people's design in terms of aesthetic stuff i'm pretty good at like data flow and stuff like that but i can make an app or a website look really great but i'm really drawing a lot from other people when I do that. I don't have a ton of originality. And then Dave is really good at coming to people like me or other people for help with design. Right. That's how I would euphemistically describe it. So I think we've got three different skill sets about design on the call. And we just wanted to hear from you about kind of what goes into designing a good app. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your apps and then we can kind of go from there. Okay. Well, I work on a couple of different apps. Um, This year, I just released When Did I? I worked on that with a friend named Kyle, uh, Kyle Cronin. And When Did I? is like a pretty simple utility app for tracking when you did something. Uh, It could be when you got a haircut. It could be um, when you changed the oil in your car. It could be that you made your bed. Um, that you flossed, anything you want to track during the day. Um, or it doesn't even have to be during the day. Like, I mean, it doesn't have to be every day. It can be, it can be something that happens multiple times a day or, um, you know, only once a year, but you would like to know when you did it. So we show the time when they did it. And then we show a history of like all of the events that you've logged in the app and, we had quite a successful little launch this year. I'm very excited about this app and I have a lot in store for that one. And then nice. and then I also work on uh, my 
one of my other main big apps is Capsicum, who I work on with Ish. Um, and Capsicum is a digital planner and notebook app, and we have like a a planning section, a loose leaf section for like like adding any thoughts or things not attached to a particular date. Like you could add a shopping list there or a, a list of things you want to read or something. And then we also have um, like notebook covers that you can choose from. And we also have habit tracking where you can mark off things that you've done and want to keep on top of. And then I also have um, a few other apps, like the first app that I worked on was Stamp Pack, which is a sticker app. And then I also have Boomerang, which is like a language translation app. So you can double check it like it uses Google Translate and then it um, bounces it back into the original language so that you can see what else oh, nice. it could say. I bet you can end up with some pretty funny stuff that way. Yeah, you can end up with something funny. So on Capsicum, that's probably the one I've been using the most. I started using it at the beginning of June. And I, I can't emphasize enough how pretty this app is. Thank like you. it's just the, the notebooks, like just having the ability to close the notebook and just look at the cover is kind of a, an interesting interaction of itself and just having these really nice covers on the notebooks. And then you open it to to do what you're gonna do and I always close it when I'm done. And I just love that interaction. Um, but the, just the overall app design itself, it's just, it looks really good. There's lots of colors. You're not scared of using more than one font like it's not just system font everywhere. You've got some great fonts for the titles and headers. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it's really just a, a very pleasant app to use. And it seems like they're, like Ish might be working on some Swift UI stuff for it in the future. So it could be That's right. interesting to talk about that. But yeah, I use it, like I've used it pretty much every day, let's see, for the last 54 days because I got my habit tracking stuff in there. And I've got four habits that I'm tracking and it pulls in my calendar events for the day. I, I use it for some basic to-do stuff in the morning. And I use the to-do to set out like, what do I want to get done today in, in broad terms? Like I'm still using Todoist as my main task manager, but I'm using this as like kind of help me rewrite my list in my head in the morning and then I use what I call coffee thoughts in the morning to just write out a paragraph or two about what I want to do that day or record anything that's on my mind or stuff like that and then I kind of return to the app at the end of the day to you know go over my checklist make sure I did everything defer stuff to tomorrow and then kind of write a journal entry so it's kind of become like the bookend of my day. Like I, I use it in the morning before I start work and I use it at about four in the afternoon when I'm done with work. And uh, it's just kind of an interesting way to, it's like part planning, part journaling, part just like helping myself be accountable that I'm working on the stuff that I want to work on. And then the loose leaf stuff, they're uh, marked down the formatted notes that you can use throughout the app. But I use the loose leaf stuff for a bunch of like personal documents of like, here's all the stuff. Like I've got an annual document called my year 37 guidebook with like 
long-term goals that I want to do this year. And I've got a financial goals documents stuff like that. So I can always flip over to loose leaf and read those. And those are all nicely formatted with HTML with like, yeah, pretty cool stuff. So I can't emphasize enough just how pretty and fun to use this app is. It's like, it's got some great time travel features. Um, it's got the daily view, but also the weekly view. So you can look ahead for the whole week. And then my favorite is the monthly view that shows all your birthdays coming up and then I can set monthly goals for myself. So the last goal for July, I can check off right now, which is record our first interview for the podcast. <laughs> and then I get confetti. Yay. Which is one of my favorite things. The app shows you confetti when you check off everything on a list, which is awesome. Yeah, we tried to add some nice little fun touches like that. Uh, we were really inspired by uh, traditional paper planners and basically everyone likes to do them differently like everyone has their own style and we wanted to make sure our product wasn't such a rigid system that people can't make it work for how they want to plan and you know mm -hmm. things they gotta get out of their head and get done and want to keep a track of so we tried to really make it customizable like like i love beautiful uh I love beautiful planners and stationery, and it really inspires me. I had fun making the covers and uh, the decorative tape, which a lot of people who do bullet journaling like to like use washi tape in their journals, like to divide sections. And so we made our own digital version of that to separate sections. And yeah, we just wanted to make it very beautiful and decorative and customizable for each individual. Yeah, I think you definitely succeeded. I was wondering what, what to call those section headers, like mm. digital tape. Yeah. But yeah, I've got little polka dots on mine. Sweet. <laughs> so I'm using a teal theme and I've got some like purple, dark, dark purple headers. And I've got the, what's the notebook called? Leather Mint. Nice. Just a really nice looking one. So yeah, just some really awesome choices here. Yeah. I uh, hadn't looked at the app before I found out you were going to be on the show. And so I was like, okay, I got to go look at all of her stuff. And <laughs> I dug in and started looking and Capsicum was the first thing that I looked at. And on the very first page for the website, looking at the big screenshots for the iPad and iPhone app and immediately got a little smile on my face because it was just mm -hmm. the clean design the the intentionality of it i kind of went oh i don't know if this is the app for me yeah but it's an app that i would absolutely not mind using i would have no problem mm. looking at this for hours a day no problem mm. um i also like planners and have always been <clears throat> annoyed by the lack of flexibility in them or the kind of single taskness of them and getting this kind of 50,000 foot view with multiple kinds of slices through the day in this manner. I, I love it. It's great. Sweet. Yeah, we know that is probably not for everyone, but um, yeah, uh, for a particular group of people, people who, who love their traditional paper planners and um, I don't know, a, a particular group of productivity users um, would be interested in using it, I think. Um, and anyone who's like creative and really likes 
to customize things, but it's not something that requires like constant customization. Like you can just set it once and have it how you want. Um, but in the future, I would really like to work on more covers and tapes and, um, you know, originally I wanted to like have things for like special occasions like Christmas, like having a candy cane tape and things like that. Um, the main, the main area someone would use that would be in the loose leaf because we kind of have like set your default tape for the whole, whole notebook, but you can customize loose leaf pages a bit more. It would be cool to have like, um, like the main daily section, if it could show seasonal tapes, like yeah. just kind of like a user opt-in thing, like here's the pumpkins for the fall and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, that would probably be really difficult to do though. Just thinking about that from a programming standpoint. Yeah, um, we were actually working on it for a couple of years and originally we had it so you could build each day individually, like you could add what you wanted on it. But after testing mm -hmm. and using it over time, we realized that <laughs> you just want to set it up once and then keep using it like that. So we just made there be like defaults that you can change and then mm. have it how you want for the whole notebook rather than having to build each day. So talking about the beginning of that process, where did things start? I mean, where, where was the original idea of saying, let's make a task management slash planner app? I mean, it's a, it's a relatively busy space on the app store. There's hundreds, if not thousands of apps that take different approaches to dealing with pieces or sections of this problem. How did, I don't know where this project started. Was this your idea and then started working with another developer or was this somebody else's idea and you were coming in after the fact or did it all come together collaboratively or where did, where did the idea start to go here? Right. Well, the idea actually was Ish, um, Ish's idea. I work with, uh, Ish Shabazz, who's from Southern California. Uh, I myself am from Adelaide, South Australia. So before I even met Ish, um, he had an idea of an app he wanted to build. Um, he saw Steve Job, Steve Jobs um, introduce the iPad and Ish thought that he would really love to get an iPad, um, especially if there was an app on there like a Franklin Covey planner, which he really liked mm. and nothing like that existed on there. And he thought maybe I can build it myself, but he was like right at the beginning of his development journey and he didn't quite have the skills back then to start building it. So he kind of like put it on the shelf and like let it and like pondered on it for a while. And then several years down the track after he'd worked on a couple of apps, he happened to be with a friend in a cafe and he saw them pull out their journal um, and they had really beautifully decorated it and he was really intrigued. And then they explained to him all about the billet, bullet journaling process, which is a system um, designed by a guy named Ryder Carroll. And he he wanted to have like a simple method for um, getting your to-dos out and you can like 
you can like migrate them to another day. Like it has a system of bullets that mean different things. Like, like if a bullet has an arrow through it, it means you've moved it to another day. And people like can do it in lots of different ways. Like people can do it really elaborately and decorate it. And like, it's created a really big, um, a really big group of, um, fans who love it and use it regularly. Um, it doesn't have to be complicated, but yeah, Ish was really inspired by that. And then he came to me and asked me if I'd be interested in working on it with him. And we've worked, we worked on a few things together before Capsicum, mostly just small little projects, um, including our sticker back. And, um, yeah, I said I would love to work on it with him. I really enjoy working with him. And then we started the process. Um, we, we definitely started it, started it with the idea of being able to drag and drop like different modules, we called them. And the app was going to be called Modular mm. back then. That was the working title. And then eventually we changed it to Capsicum. Um, we wanted a more yeah, unique... Yeah, where that name come from? <laughs> well, in Australia, we call bell peppers capsicums. And, like, me and Ish, we always have conversations about the different um, the differences between the US and Australian um, words and, and spellings and all that. And, yeah, one day I just said capsicum in a conversation. <laughs> he was like, what's that? He really liked the sound of it. And... Yeah, like it's a little bit of a nod to me as a designer, the name. But a capsicum just so happens to like have the Latin word um, box in it and we have lots of components in the app like the to-dos and oh. events and so it kind of works out in that way as well. Yeah, okay. That's yeah. awesome. I was always wondering like the like the icon has the pepper and I knew that the word meant pepper, but I never made yeah. that connection to the Latin word. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, there's a tendency that I have to try and name things descriptively. Mm, and yeah. that produces bad names. And I always have to keep reminding myself that modern app naming is not descriptive. Right. It's, mm. it's uh, you get a good word. And then imbue the word with the things that you want. You know, That's it right. wasn't, there was Microsoft Internet Explorer, but then there was also Apple's Safari. Mm. And Safari doesn't mean web browser. It's never <laughs> meant web browser, but now it means web browser right. because they did that. So, yeah, it's a just a impulse in myself that I'm constantly having to remind myself not to do. Anyway. Yeah, it makes it a little bit more effective to like have a name that's that people remember and like you can you can then brand and promote that name attached to your product so people become aware of what it is and if you search for Capsicum on the App Store, you won't find too many results. So like it's right up there at the top like and in the US like you know, not many people know what it is. So it is like a unique word that's interesting and people are like, mm -hmm. oh, what's that? Like, yeah, not everyone can pronounce it right. Um, that's okay. But <laughs> even I sometimes say it wrong. Um, 
Yeah, like I sometimes say capsicum with an N sound at the end, but it's capsicum. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mentioned to Heidi before the show that I found the uh, how to pronounce video on YouTube. And I was listening to that like 15 times before the show. <laughs> so yeah, I think like the one thing I want to say about the notebooks and about the styling is, I mean, we talked about how customizable they are, but I think the fact that they're customizable it kind of gives me a little bit of ownership over the notebook. Like I've used lots of other apps like day one and just tons of other little like journal slash planning apps over the years and more, more productivity focused ones like OmniFocus and Todoist. But that those always seem like clients that I'm using for my data. And my right. data is something I can transport around where this feels like, it's closer to a physical notebook of like, I'm putting everything in here and this is where it lives now. And I've got kind of a, an emotional ownership over that of like, there's no desire for me to export my data and go somewhere else. Like this is where this type of activity lives now. And mm. I think that's really cool. Awesome. As you were designing this, what was the, what was the piece that you struggled with the most? Like what was the biggest pounding your head against a wall, how am I going to solve this particular problem? The first eight things you tried didn't work sort of thing. Or did it all just come together? Like, that's valid as well. Uh, yeah, well, the app has gone through so many iterations, but I think one of the screens that was probably the most challenging to design was the daily planning screen. Um, at the moment, we have... Um, like I kind of made these custom tabs that kind of look like folder tabs, like a mm -hmm. physical folder, like like where you can write like what it is on the top. I don't know if I'm describing this well, but like um, yeah. when we first when we first made it, like I wanted we wanted to make it so it was customizable, so that you could add like. If you want to have the to-do on the page, you can do that. If you want to rearrange tapes, you can do that. And it went through so many different looks. Like like I tried to design all these different handles for like dragging things around. And um, when we got drag and drop from Apple, um, mm -hmm. we really played with that a lot. Um, yeah. I, I really am happy how it ended up in the end, like, because I could have, like, used, um, like, default system UI, but I really wanted it to be reminiscent of, like, a paper journal or planner, like, to feel more personal and, like, I could have a segment control at the top that, that would say daily, weekly, monthly, but I did my own custom thing, like... Mm -hmm. So it looks like it's a paper thing. Um, yeah, that took a lot of iterations. So many <laughs> different screens. Awesome. Okay, now when did I? Sweet. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about when did I. I guess before you that, I just want to say, oh my God, colors. <laughs> this app is so colorful. <laughs> yes, I love bright colors. Um, uh I especially love my yellow to cyan theme, but we ended up 
creating other themes for people who might not be a fan of such the bright color. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm using purple haze myself. Yep. So we have purple haze and we have light, we have light and dark modes. So you can change that for your preference. Um, I'm pretty much sticking with light mode and yellow to cyan. Um, yeah, I'm a bright and fun, colorful person myself. Um, I love color, so I really put some of my personality into it. Um, I worked with Kyle Cronin on this project. I met him in 2017 when I went to Layers in San Jose. I was lucky enough to win a scholarship there, like a women's scholarship. Um, so I had my um, the cost of the conference paid for. And that's where I met Kyle and yeah, we kept in touch and he's formerly a web developer and wanted to get into app development and we just talked about some ideas of possibilities of something we could work on. And When Did I is like an app I really wanted to exist. I wasn't really aware of like any competing products that would do the job for me. Like I've discovered a few since then, but and like even Ish worked on something similar in the past, but I didn't connect it at the time. Um, he worked on something called Track It in the past, which is no longer exists on the App Store. But yeah, I really wanted a way that I could like log when I did something. So like, like if I took a medication, I wanted to know when I took it, or um, I wanted to know like how often I wash my hair because I'm like is it every two days or three days or four days like I don't even know I would like to know how regularly I do that <laughs> so and like there's like infinite things that you might want to know how regularly you do it like you can use it for anything you want um like we have some suggestions in the app that people can pick during the onboarding and then you can also add your own um we have little emojis for each, um, we call them actions, and <laughs> you can change the emoji or like choose whatever emoji you want for your own. And then you just tap the item when you do it, and then it will add an event of it. And then you can see a full history of that. So we've got an actions tab, a history tab, and then the settings tab where you can change the colors and a few things like that. Yeah, I think the combination of the, the bright colors and the emoji really make the app kind of stand out and look extra friendly. Yeah. Like it just feels like a very inviting place to come and do stuff. And particularly the onboarding experience of like, I don't know what to do with an app like this. Well, here's like 15 suggestions. Like that's yeah. a really good idea. Yeah, we wanted to make it understandable so new people who come to it don't go like, what the heck do I do? <laughs> that that was Kyle's idea and I and that ended up being one of my favorite screens like the onboarding screen because we have like um like rectangles where you then select the action you want and then it becomes more vibrant when you select them. I I really like that. And some people actually were like, "Oh, we really like these suggested ones. We would like the app to look like this inside the app too like because we have like um table rows or table cells with all the things that you're tracking that 
to uh, tap when you do them. But like I am considering actually like having two views, like a list and a grid like that you could change between. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be really cool to see the data on a calendar with like not the actual data displayed on the calendar, but think of like the older iOS calendars where you had the mm -hmm. calendar at the top and a list below. And then each day on the calendar could have like a bolder or more color to it, depending on how many things happened on that day. And then you could click on that to show the list below. That's an interesting idea. Give you, give you like an idea like, when am I busiest? When am I doing the most stuff? Hmm. I really, I like, I want to redo the history screen I have at the moment, which is like just a, it's like a list of everything you've done ever. So it can scroll back really far. <laughs> but like, since I've been using it for like over a year myself, like before we released it, um, it's a lot of data. I really, I, <laughs> yeah. I really want to redesign it to be like daily summaries of what you've done during the day. But obviously different people will use it for different things. Not everyone will do things with it daily. Like some people might only have a few things in there that they track like a couple of times a year or whatever. But yeah, I really want to think how I can improve that experience a bit more. Now, yeah, you know, it works with series shortcuts too, which is kind of cool. So it you can does. Have, a, have an item tied to a series shortcut and say, hey, dingus, you know, give it whatever command phrase you want. Just have them mark off in the background. Yeah, and there's a lot of potential for shortcuts, like especially with iOS 13 because now you can um, create um, automations. So, for instance, if you, you could have like went on Twitter and then you could actually set up in the shortcuts app like when you open the Twitter app for it to log it in when did I? So you, would, you wouldn't oh, nice. even have to do it yourself. Like you just open apps and it would tr it would trigger it. Yeah, now now it's a behavior change app. Mm. It's awesome. Be like, yeah, I'm using Twitter way too much. I opened it 700 times today. <laughs> so in the App Store, uh, you by name are the publisher of record for this app. Mm -hmm. So this was your original concept. Yeah, it was or... my it was my concept and. Like I shared my idea with Kyle, um, mm -hmm. we we discussed like whose account would it would it would be on and um, like and I was actually quite excited that it's on my own account because I feel like really empowered and have a sense of ownership and like like I respond to the customer emails and. Um, like it's got my name attached to it so I feel like it's not something that I would want to like I wouldn't want to like let go of my customer service to mm -hmm. then tarnish mm -hmm. my own name or anything but yeah you can't always control everything like you still you'll still get negative reviews and everything but like um yeah I just feel really motivated to make sure that I give my customers a good experience and help them with any problems they have yeah, that's awesome. So my my question is, when do I get a custom app icon with my my custom <laughs> theme, with my purple haze theme? That's I'll pay actually... I'll pay for an in app purchase if I have to. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is something that has been requested, and it is on our um, 
it is on our issue tracker of things to get to. Um, I have quite a lot of feature requests to get through for when did I actually. <laughs> so I can't promise exactly when that will be out, but that is something that I do want to work on. Yeah, it's a good sign when people want more stuff from your app. Yes, yeah, it means that people enjoy using it and like they want they want even more ways of doing it. Like a lot of people have asked for a Apple Watch app, which I think would be really great a really great companion to my app because yeah, you might be away from your phone and want to log that you did something and you but you always have your watch on your wrist, so that would be useful. So yeah. Um mm. I always appreciate when I get feedback um from people. Like it does help me realise like what what would be good to work on next. Like the more the more people ask for certain features. Oh yeah, no, you definitely get a sense for which ones are common requests. That's right. Like the third time in a week you hear the same thing. Okay, so apparently <laughs> that's somewhere on the agenda. I don't know if it's next, but it's on the agenda. Yeah. Well, awesome. Was there anything you want to talk about in terms of your design process? Like, and what's it look like in the day of Heidi Helen sitting in front of a computer? Say you've got a new interface to do. What what does that work look like? <laughs> um, or is it just thousands of pieces of paper? Well, I used to do a lot of drawing on paper until I got my iPad. And now I use um, mm. linear um Mm. and like draw on their phone mock-up and ipad mock-up to like sketch some ideas out that's often how i start like and then i share that with ish or kyle depending on which project it is and then ask them what they think and sometimes i'll go back to drawing again but yeah really it does save time to draw before i go into sketch that's what i use on the computer um sketch by bohemian coding um I use on my macbook for designing the user interface um and then zeppelin for exporting the designs with specifications that developers can look at um hmm. yeah i i spend a lot of time in sketch um so i'll make an artboard for a particular screen and I use um, symbol libraries like for common UI, like Apple has a good um, library of their of their interface, so I can drop in their elements and um, occasionally I create my own stuff depending on the project. Um, yeah, but a lot of design is like spacing how far apart things are and what the relationships are between items and um you know what is the best experience for the user so i think about all those things i usually like use increments of eight for spacing like 8 16 32 etc um hmm. i missed 24 then but um <laughs> <laughs> yeah i commonly use those those numbers to space things um so so you count in octal <laughs> i do yeah sketches I've, I've been using sketch a little bit over the years and like i like i said i'm not really a designer but it's 
the only one of those design tools that I can open and figure out. Mm. It's just they like I have Illustrator because I have mm -hmm. Adobe stuff. And it's just mm -hmm. so bad, right? Where Sketch like is very easy to use. The documentation is good, and they put the text of the name of the button next to the button. Like, thank you. These yeah. icons <laughs> don't mean anything to me. And I love their spacing thing where you hold down the option key like while you're working on something so you can see how far apart things are. And like hmm. I, I started in Illustrator when I first started designing apps. Like um, the very first app project I ever worked on actually was a Google material design um, app. Um, and I use Illustrator for that. And yeah, it's really difficult to like calculate spacing and everything like I always have to open the calculator and like take like um like x and y positions and then like add a number onto it and then go into the panel and put exactly where I want it to be so that was like quite lengthy in <laughs> illustrator and then when I when I found I'm sure sketch, that doesn't get old three months in <laughs> Sketch made it so much easier, and but I still cried when I first used Sketch. I still was frustrated learning <laughs> to use it. Um, but now I want Illustrator to be more like Sketch, and I want Keynote to be more like Sketch. Like when I switch between programs, I like I use shortcuts from the other one, and I get frustrated when they don't work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So this is the third time in a couple of months that I've heard a designer reference Zeppelin. Hmm. Um, where does that fit in? You're saying you're talking about exporting with sizing data. Yeah. So it, it exports the artboard and then you can click on any element. Like you can click on a button and you can see how far apart it is from like the edge of the screen or how far it is from the text. And you can see what color it is and like, you can export some of that stuff into Xcode, I believe, um, like all of the color information and stuff like that. And then like developers can also export assets from there. So like they can get the button out or they can get um, images out. And like, um, like if both designer and developer have sketch, you can do it that way, but you know, you have to find exactly where the artboard is. Like, it can be, like, really messy and complicated. Like, I try and keep my sketch documents really neat, but, like, like I know where everything is because I, I work in them regularly. But if someone <laughs> else comes in, they probably won't really know my process. So, like, Zeppelin just makes it really easy to sort and search. And, um, like, it has a version history as well. So, like just say it's a uh, um let me see let's say it's a setting screen and i i change some icons and then i i export it again to zeppelin and you can see what the previous one looked like and um you can also leave notes on things if you want but i don't really do that um yeah, it just really makes it easy for the developer to inspect things like so they know the distances and the colors without like me having to write documentation or like search and dig for things forever to find what you're looking for. 
Okay, so I definitely got to spend some more time looking at Zeppelin. Hmm. One project is free in there, and then if you have more, like if you want to have like more than one app you're working on, then they have plans that go up from there. So I'm curious, do you ever find yourself in Xcode, working <laughs> on like storyboards or any of the design stuff in Xcode? I've managed to stay away from Xcode. <laughs> Um, no, I have downloaded it like a couple of times and I actually started, I actually started this year, um, learning to code a little bit because I felt inspired this year, but then like I had a really difficult lesson, like, and I was really getting stressed out. So I stopped for a while and switched to other things I was working on, but I do want to get back to it. Um, yeah, I really don't know a whole lot about it. Um. Yeah, and that may be a good thing because I think it might bring developers a lot of pain maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, like Apple has made a – they've mentioned several times in like WWDC sessions that like Storyboard is a place where your designers can implement their design. But you look at Storyboards like, is this a joke? Are you, <laughs> like – are you trying to torture designers? Like, here is what looks like a WYSIWYG interface, but nothing works the way you think it should. So it's like, imagine like the evil mirror universe version of Sketch, where it's like <laughs> trying to attack you and wearing a scary mustache. And yeah, I just, it's it's intimidating. So I wonder though, like with Swift UI coming, mm. I wonder if that would tempt you back into you know, coding and particularly you could, like when you are running Swift UI in Catalina, which I won't be able to do until this fall, but you can have the code on one side and the visual interface on the other. And mm. you can still use the WYSIWYG tools in the visual interface and it updates the code. Yeah, and That's the part I'm really looking forward to. Of like, let me just right click on a field and change the styles about it and have it, the code update. And then you can kind of like, you can learn the APIs for the code from the inspector in a way, which I think is going to be really cool. Yeah, um, it seems like it might be a good time, better than ever before, to learn coding if anyone is interested in pursuing that. Um, uh, Ish tells me that he thinks it would be easy for me to get a grasp of and start learning. Um, yeah, he reckons that I could do it, so... Yeah. Um I'm I am interested in looking at it again. Um I work on so many projects and um I really um I like working in my area of strength which I love design and I love the details and I'm really grateful that I get to work with other people who have knowledge in the development side of things so we can work together as a team and both use our different strengths but I, I think that it would be good for me to know because, like, it would improve my design and also, um, what else? Um, in the future, if, like, if either of my developers needed to step away from the project for a while, I, I would be able to fix some things if I needed to. So I definitely think it's a valuable skill that I would like to explore more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm... I'm the type of person who I'm not really an expert at anything. I like to be proficient or good enough yeah. at lots of things. 
And I think Dave is on the other side. Like he's definitely much more technical when it comes to code and, and writing complex algorithms and multi-threaded apps and stuff like that. And I'm just like, how can I make it good? <laughs> like, you know, can I make it look good? Can I make it flow good? Can I store the data consistently? Like I want to be good enough at all of those things. But mm. you're, it sounds like you're very much on the design side. Like you, you're really crafting an expertise there. And then to the extent that you learn to code, it would be about you know, refining your design abilities even further. Yeah. Like what else can I do add to my toolkit? I think I'd really be good at the grammatical side of coding too, like making sure I'm consistent with how it's written because like when it comes to spelling and grammar too, like I'm like I'm very consistent with like commas and full stops and everything like that and details really speak to me. So I think I'd be good at that. Well if you like semicolons, where do we have a language for you? <laughs> oh. Everybody seems to think that they need to be good at math to be a programmer. And I honestly think that being good at grammar is far more important. Like mm. if, if you if you geek out over the Oxford comma, you can probably do okay as a programmer. Mm. Um, I think the most valuable skill as a programmer is being good at being told that you're bad. Because Xcode or any ID will constantly <laughs> tell you how bad you are. Like, no, you're wrong. I can't do that. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. Like, oh. <laughs> but on the flip side, there's the nice element that something will tell you you're wrong. Mm. Whereas if you're working in design, there's no automated system that spits back and goes, yeah, no, you can't do that. Yeah, it can Not be allowed. quite subjective sometimes. Well, the, the end result... I think, and this is me talking way outside of my field, the end result, I think, has a very objective value. But also in a, sub yeah, in a subjective sense. Okay, now you can tell I'm really talking outside of my field. <laughs> well, design... <laughs> Design, I feel like it is a very iterative process. It's it's very rare. In fact, probably never at all have my has my very first design been the one that's used in the mm. in the product that's on the app store. Like it goes through so many versions. And one thing I really like about working with other people is like when I share it with them, like they give their insights about what can be better. And like from a development point of view. I get told what's possible or, you know, like with their skills and knowledge of how they know things work. Like, for instance, like if I put a button at the top of the screen, the developer might tell me, well, people hold their phone at the bottom and it's easy for them to reach it from the bottom. So let's put it down there. You know, like you just, I just really like the collaborative side of working together and both refining it together. And usually when both me and the developer are happy, like, then I know it's good. Like, like if just I think it's good and the developer doesn't or uh, the developer thinks it's good and I don't, then I don't think it's good. Like, once you reach that agreement, mm. then I think it's good. Mm. That's the place I like getting to. Yeah, definitely. So what's next? Ah. What are you working on now? What's coming up? Mm -hmm. What neat new things can we anticipate either in e these apps or in other apps? Right. Well, I've I've been working on getting things ready for iOS 13 and I've actually yeah. started by 
working on Boomerang, my language app that I mentioned earlier, because that's a smaller app and I wanted to get a feel for um, what is it like creating like the UI in the dark mode compared to the light mode. Like like I had a look at Apple's um, uh, UI kit and like the colors and everything that they have defined for system colors and I've been working on converting my UI into dark mode but mm. while I was at it I was changing a whole lot of other things too including SF symbols which I'm really mm. interested in like um, I replaced some some of the icons with apples because that will be really good for accessibility so they can resize according to like whatever text the user has without it getting pixelated or anything like that. Um, so yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot more features I'm working on as well. Um, Capsicum, well, this is mainly Ish working on it, but I, I will be designing some mock-ups for these screens. Like where we're going to add pencil kit into Capsicum so that oh, cool. users can sketch, um, something in a loose leaf page so that I'm going to redesign loose leaf to now accommodate sketches. Um, so you'll be able to have sketches, lists and notes and kind of, I'm, I want to have two views, both like a list view and a grid view where you can like see like a preview of your sketch or, or page in there as well before you tap on it to see the whole thing. And, um, we also want to put a little bit more thought into iPad because I really started designing Capsicum on the iPhone, even though it really makes much more sense as an iPad app because journals and notebooks are bigger than an iPhone. But I, I started designing for a smaller scale, but I really want to take advantage of a lot of the features that the iPad has um, with a, uh, you know, now there's going to be multiple windows and all sorts of things. Um, but, yeah, I really want to make sure I'm using the space uh, the best that I can be. Um, and when did I? We have a lot of feature requests as well. Um, I want to work on improving the accessibility, so I need to test it with voiceover on and other settings to make sure everything is working all right. I really should have spent more time on that earlier. Um, I was rushing to get it out before WWDC. Um, mm -hmm. And, yeah, I really need to spend more time on that. Um, uh, a lot of people have requested reminders. Like, they want, like to be reminded hey you haven't changed the oil in your car for three months maybe it's time to do that <laughs> so that is a very common feature to be requested um yeah either as a reminder or as like a tolerance like this number should never exceed x hmm. and if it does highlight it for me mm -hmm. yeah i was thinking about that this morning in my walk of like it would be so easy to turn this into basically a a confusing to-do list app and i think its strength right now is being based in the past right um but maybe having a screen kind of based on the history of like for, for each item you could define like dave said a tolerance of like i want to try to do this every seven days and if it's 
been more than seven days, show that item on a screen of like, you know, outstanding things or yeah. maybe turn it, turn it a color or bold it or something like that. And that would actually be a really cool idea for the home widget on the side of the iOS, like on the side of the iPad or on the iPhone, having a widget that shows you your um, whatever you end up calling those, like expiring or... Yeah, a widget. A widget yeah. is definitely something we would like to add. There's there's so much that we can do for it. Um, working on multiple projects, like I need to obviously need to like choose what I work on next and when I can work on it next. But yeah, yeah. I am I am excited that like so many people enjoy using it and want multiple ways of doing things and they're like widgets and. Um, people want Apple Watch and Siri and they want everything like we have we have Siri already but yeah people want multiple ways of being able to add data and yeah I do want to get to adding more features over time yeah yeah it's just kind of funny how how many things you can have on iOS now and if you if you don't have them all people start asking yeah I want a widget <laughs> I want an Apple Watch I want Siri I want I want a message app I want stickers yeah i mean if you launch with everything you might actually have to delay getting your product out for a couple of years so yeah sometimes yeah you just get it out get it out as stable and um you know as feature rich as you can and then you add more stuff over time mm -hmm. and if you release supporting everything i can pretty much guarantee that every single ios update is going to be really painful because mm. about half of them are going to change somewhere along the way and you're going to have to go in and redo some stuff and yeah yeah the more you support the harder it is to continue to support that will be Ouch. a pain for my developers <laughs> <laughs> yeah until they release dark mode and then suddenly it's all in your lap yeah <laughs> Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it. Uh, if people want to find out more about you or your work, where can they find you? Uh, people can find me on Twitter, Heidi underscore Helen. That's H-E-I-D-I -I underscore H-E-L-E-N. Um, I'm also on Instagram. I have not posted on there for a couple of months, though. Um, yeah, Twitter is... The main place people would want to follow me. I'm very active on there and um, I like engaging in community discussions and everything. So, yeah. yeah. That's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show because you, you're on Twitter a lot and you're nice to people on Twitter a lot, Aww. which is it's not something you see on Twitter very often anymore. And I'm trying to fill my feed with people who are kind and generous and, and support other people. And, and you and Ish definitely fit that. Oh, thank you so much. Well, thanks for being on the show. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So that was our interview with Heidi. I uh, hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Uh, I think it was, it was, I had a lot of fun. So mm -hmm. uh, hopefully everybody else enjoyed it somewhere close to as much as I did. Um, yeah, we've never had a guest before on this podcast or any of our previous ones. So, you know, forgive the rough edges if we... Uh, you know, ask silly questions or talked over one another, but we are getting better at this stuff, but we definitely enjoyed talking to Heidi and hopefully she'll come back with project updates in the future to tell us what she's working on or 
maybe talk about a, a version two of an app or big updates. But yeah, we, uh, we're not gonna have a guest every week because that would be a bit overwhelming, but maybe from time to time, have somebody on to talk about what they're working on. And I think Dave already has a good idea of our next guest, which might be in a couple weeks. Yeah. So thank you all very much. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>